Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Coach Menachem Berfeld. Thank you for joining us here tonight on the Sunday night in the middle of a cold winter. And we really appreciate everybody being here. Thank you again for joining. I first want to start off thanking, uh, first of all, Rabbi Breidowitz for coming so early in the morning. I really appreciate it. Rabbi Breidowitz is in Israel. And uh, it's a schuss to have him here tonight. Again, tonight's year is 164. And I always start off every thanking all the people that uh, come on every week and they post it on their WhatsApp statuses. They email people about it and they let people know about it. And it's really a place to talk through some very important inyanim. And we've had a lot of shiurim and we spoke about a lot, but now, you know, the pressing topics is something that uh, is on everybody's mind. And we really, we did a few shiurim. We did some with Rabbi Waiwai and Eli Beer. We did it with Rabbi Manas Ribbon. And now with Shem, we're going to do a deep shiur with Rabbi Tzak Breidowitz, who I could say is Chad uh, So I really appreciate him coming on. Again, anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chats, just please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. You can go to menachemberfeld.com and sign up for his emails and his what and his uh, flyers. Every week he'll email you the shiurim, the recaps, and all the everything that's going on in the Coach Menachem world. Um, if everybody's going to watch us on YouTube, Metrem will be uploaded a little bit later tonight. You can click on the like button, the subscribe button. Every week when Menachem uploads it after the cheer. You get notified and you get to listen to it. Rabbi Bradowitz, as you know, thousands and thousands of people listen to the share afterwards, not live, because Sunday night is, is hard. And people come on from all over the world. We have people here from uh, literally every everywhere. We have Mexico, we have South Africa. We have people that come on live <laughs> just to listen. So it's a big chizik for Gans Kleisrael. Again, thank you for uh, thank you for the advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Ellie and Ariel from Parkham and Chayla Kaufman from JCM from always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. So again, for all the people that are here for the first time, Every Sunday night on this Zoom ID, we have different topics, different Rabbanim, different therapists. Please spread the word. Next week, November 26th, is going to be a very powerful shear with one of the most inspirational speakers in Kalei Israel. It's going to be Rabbi Charlie Harari. He's going to be joining us. And um, we didn't uh, we didn't hone in on the topic, but tomorrow we're going to figure out what the topic is. But uh, as everybody knows, Charlie Harari definitely is a powerful speaker. So please join us. Let everybody know about it. Tonight, again, we have the and honor of having the most, again, in my opinion, don't take it the wrong way, Rabbi Bradowitz, the most brilliant minds in Klai Israel, Rabbi Yitzhak Bradowitz for a second time from Yeshiva Sameach, should be Mechazek Klai Israel, should be a very deep event, and we should really get some clarity and mention the thousands of people that are here tonight, and all the thousands of people that listen to it, should be a great Sechizek. So we're going to start first with the Gamachia. Arnold Fried is not feeling well tonight, so we pass the, the baton to Coach Menachem. What's the Gamachia for 164? Let's see if it fits in tonight's year. So we got the gematria from our Noyach. He should feel better. So he said the gematria of 164 is Hashem is good, and does good for us all. Whatever Hashem does is for the best, even though we sometimes don't understand and we have questions. But we always have to remember that it's Toiv Umetiv Lakoil, and that's 164 tonight's gematria. Okay, my coach Menachem, open it up. Why are we here tonight? We're all gathered here. There's 300 people so far here. What okay. are we doing on the night? Why, Welcome, everyone. For sure. Welcome, everyone, to another Let's Go Real with Coach Menachem Baruch Hashem with a lot of Seattle and Dishmaya. We're doing 164 tonight, and we have this first to have Rabbi Breiderwitz. Um, I do want to say I'm sorry for the last-minute cancellation for last week, and we had a hard week, and um, I do want... To send uh, my nechama to Usher, um, that he lost his brother, and Hashem should help. He should have nechama, and Gans Klal Yisrael. We should have nechama. We all need. We're in a massive of where we need nechama. Hashem should help us all. 
So before we go to tonight's topic, I would like to mention our tonight's sponsor is Nesivos. So they're having their yearly campaign and every dollar is needed for those who understand, for those who um, needed Nesivos in the past. They know how important it is when you have a, a child, a teen child who struggles to get them on, you know, to get the support and their needs. For those that don't know anything about Nesivos, Hashem should help. You should, should never know, never know anything about it. But it's a challenge for the parents, for the siblings, for the teen. And the CBOS is an organization that they have older brother, older sister programs for the teen. And uh, to save the situation, no matter where it is, whether it's struggling as a beginning stage or or worse, just to make sure you know, it doesn't fall away, get the support that they need. And the refer referral programs that they have, assessment programs, and the, su the support groups. They have many support groups in Lakewoods, in New York, in Passaic. And it's really, they're really growing. help. We shouldn't need it, but this is where we are. And they have over 150 parents that meet and get the support that they need. So every dollar is needed. And we're doing this chos for Asher's brother. It should be his chos, Lil Nishmas, Avram Yontov, Ben Moshe, Ben Yomen. His Nisham We'll put the We'll put the link in the chat. And whatever you can give, whether it's a dollar or more, just something, Lil Nishmas, Asher's brother, and it should be as chos and Hashem. So tonight's topic, seeking clarity in a complex world that doesn't logically add up. We know already, we, we like to be in a place where we understand things, we try to figure out things, we try to make sense out of it. Sometimes we're in a place where it just doesn't make sense and many people have a hard time living in such a moment which makes sense. Can't figure it out. What does Hashem want? A lot of questions. And then we have people who slowly, you know, we're human. Maybe they don't watch the news and slowly they go back to normal, like a regular life. And that's also, you know, hard for someone to go back to regular life when the world is on fire. There's so much going on. And Hashem uh, Yerachim, what's going on with the hostages and uh, just, just the word war and not not only in Israel, in the whole world. So to just do your regular thing every day is, you know, also questionable. How could you? So wherever you are, there's a little, uh, you know, guilty feeling, anxious feelings, whatever it is. And we sit with questions. Many want to know if it's Milchemes Goyim Mogot. Many want to know this Mashiach, Mashiach coming, maybe not. Should we move to Israel? We, you know, we're looking for answers. We're in the we're in the Chodesh of Kislev, and the Chodesh of Kislev was a Chodesh of Nisim, and every year there are Hashem, there's a, a Koyach of Nisim. And even before, even before we, we, we saw the nests, you know, finding the Pach Shemen, to find a little bit of light in the darkness. Sometimes Kalisol goes through something dark, something hard we can't understand. But there we have there's an avoider of holding on strong with the munabitachin to know that again Hashem runs the world. So we might have questions, but to be able to hold on tight, find some light <coughs> even before Mashiach comes, even before the Gula, even before we have any answers, even if you're sitting in a place where it's uncomfortable and you can't make sense of what's going on, 
but to find a little bit of light, whether it's tefillah, connecting, and we see what's going on in the world. There's, there are, there's a lot of posit- positivity. There's a lot of nisim that we hear. And it's really, really unbelievable. So that's one of the avoiders. And tonight in Mitzvah, we have this first to hear from Rabbi Reiterwitz. And we're going to ask him our questions. And we should have a lot of siyata d'shmaya to get a little bit of clarity and to be able to be strong with our emunah betochen, even when we do have questions. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Beautiful opening. Okay, so again, let's just recap tonight's year. It's titled Seeking Clarity in a Complex World that doesn't logically make add up. A candid discussion with recent global events, Hashem's message, our roles in conflicts with Hamas, Eitzav, Yishmael, Koygamogig, just it's a very big uh, topic all around. Let's take it from there. Again, tonight's Shia should be discussed my brother, who was Nifter at a very young age, and he didn't leave any children. Um, and I said, I'm going to say it again here, that when I was with him, and... Um, he was he was nifter on Shabbos. I was started saying Tehillim, but after Tehillim, I ran out of Tehillim because I only had a siddur that had a few uh, shir malas. So I started saying Pirkei Avos, and he was nifter with the Pirkei Avos. The Dan the Kol Chaver of the Schos. You should be Dan all your friends. You know the the Schos, and he was a person that didn't hold revenges on people, and he didn't he didn't hold people. You know he was very light light lighted, and he didn't people slighted him, and people hurt him, and he was never took revenge, and he. So we should all try to take upon ourselves a little bit to um, when somebody hurts us or somebody says something, try to be down the cuffs first, try to understand there's another angle to it and try to and try to just let it, you know, slide as much as possible. A lot of times people say things they don't mean and, you know, we overreact. So I felt that was a very uh, a powerful thing when he was nifter right at that particular moment. And um, it should be a schuss for him anytime that you see something, just think, have him in mind. And uh, try to do something in the schus. I'm going to read Rabbi Breiderwitz's bio. Yitzhak Breiderwitz, the scope of knowledge, brilliance, as well unique ability to grasp complicated material and communicate it clear to others. His legendary Rabbi Breiderwitz received his Bachelor's of Arts in John Hopkins University, obtained smicha from the Israel Rabbinical College. He graduated Maka Kum Lad from Harvard Law School. Anyway, he graduated Harvard Law School until he became a rub of Silver Spring Woodside Shul in Silver Spring, Maryland. While maintaining status, he, he's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Law. He has lectured extensively throughout the U.S. And, and Israel on medical, business, family ethics. He published numerous articles on bankruptcy, commercial law, medical ethics, and Jewish law. Rabbi Breidowitz and his wife currently reside in Eretz Yisrael. He's the Rav of Arsimeh Shalim. He's published he's has published widely on Jewish laws and ethics. And Rabbi Breidowitz, tonight we bring you on for the, probably the most difficult topic to discuss and really get some clarity. Rabbi Breidowitz, the floor is yours. Please open it up. Yes, thank you so much. And first, I do want to add uh, my birchas nechama to Rav Asher on uh, the loss of your brother. And again, uh, and our, our thoughts are with you. Um, I'm speaking uh, fairly early in the morning. It's 4.30 here. Uh, in some ways, I'm actually grateful because we are told that the most dangerous part of the Gaza operations are bedafka during this time. And most Yitin and Eretz Yisrael are asleep, and they don't have a chance to be mispalel for people during this time. Uh, in fact, there's a whole campaign in America to get uh, you guys, the Bedavka, say to Hillen uh, during these hours. So, Baruch Hashem, at least today, I'm able to be mishtatif in this Zaman. After Chatzayis Bechlau, is called the Nes Ratzen. And if it's Bedavka, the time of the greatest Sakana to our soldiers, 
this is a good time to be mispalel. So uh, in spite of my little bit of hardship, it actually turns out to be something for me. And B'chlal, I'm, I'm very honored to participate uh, in your uh, wonderful podcast that uh, does a lot of good for Kali Israel. Uh, we are, of course, in an Sora. Again, forgive my voice, I'm a little hoarse today. And uh, as the Pusik says, Sora it is a time of adversity for Kali Israel, but we are Batuach that the Abishu will give us a Hatzola. Klal Yisrael will succeed because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Klal Yisrael. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be korbanos. Unfortunately, in our long history, there have been tragedies. Nobody can say that through Amunu Bitachayim, everything is going to be, you know, uh, peaches and cream. There are going to be korbanos. There have been korbanos already. But we also have to know that in the long run, Klal Yisrael will be Menatseach. And all of this is a precursor uh, to the Geula. Now, the Rambam already tells us uh, in Hilchas Malachim that to try to match events to Dovumagov is a very, very dangerous thing to say this is this and this is that. We're not going to know until it actually happens. When the Geula comes, we will then go backwards and be able to point to this thing and to that thing and to that thing as the precursor. As the Chassam Seifer says, when Hashem passes by Maishu Rabbeinu, and says, Isa sachurai, you will see me from the back. Upanai lo you will not see me from the front. So the Chassam Seifer says that means after everything happens, after everything happens, you will understand me, but you will not understand what's going on as it happens. So by definition, I'm not a Navi. Chazal say anyone who claims Nebuah is either a Shaita or a Katan. So it's not shayach for anyone to say specifically uh, what these events are, but they certainly have a very, very strong resemblance to the cataclysmic events that are preceding Mashiach. The G'daylam have already told us we are definitely in the Tekupa of Chablei Mashiach, the birth pains of Mashiach. And let me point out, there are two Mishalim Chazal use when they describe the period before Mashiach. One is Chevlei Mashiach, the birth pains of Mashiach, that just as birth is a painful process, there is the pain of labor, very, very difficult. And yet from that pain will come a tremendous light, a tremendous blessing. That is the Messianic process as well. But Maral points out there is another comparison that is used. And that is semicha. Mashiach is called a semach, something that grows. Uh, as semach David, the semach, the growth of David, the shoot of David, Hashem should cause to grow. So says the Maral, the nature of a seed is that before the seed germinates and produces new growth, it has to totally disintegrate into the ground. Says the Maral, Geula comes when we obliterate our ego. Our sense of self, our sense of kochi v'yaitzim yadi, that it is my power that does it. There has to be what Hasidus calls a bito hayesh, a nullification of egotism. Now, this is why, indeed, what happened on October 7th, B'derech shouldn't have worked at all. How is it shayach that the Israeli intelligence, which is the best in the world by far, wouldn't even detect what is going on 
with Hamas entering the borders of the state of Israel. This was a massive intelligence failure, and indeed, there are many, many investigations going on to see how is it talking. But this gufa is the tzmicha, in which we realize that in spite of our intelligence, in spite of our chachmas, in spite of our skills, without HaKadosh Baruch we're vulnerable, we're weak. And therefore, this teaches us humility, submission to Hashem. And I'm sure, I wasn't able to hear all of the prior podcasts, but I'm sure this was said before. Rav Chaim Vital tells us, uh, Talmud of the Arizal, based on Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, that the last aspect of Golos before the Bias Agayo is going to be Golos Yishmael. Although technically the fourth Golos is called Golos Edain, the Golos of Esau, because Edain destroyed the Beis Amikdash, the second Beis Amikdash, in the year 70. But Lamaisa, this is like Golos Edain version 1.2, the last part of Golos Edain will be the Tekufa of Golos Yishmael, the rise of the Arab nations against us, the Islamic nations against us. I understand not all Islam is Arab, there is Iran, but Iran is Paras, Iran is Persia. And indeed, there are many Makairis of Persia joining up with Arabia. In fact, it comes in two versions. This is so fascinating. There is the Persia joining with Arabia. That is what Maral brings. But there's a Medrash in Yalkut Shemaini, in Yishayo, that says Persia will wage war against Arabia. And the Emma says, Elo v'elo gibrelo kim chayim. On one hand, we have an Islamic world that is arrayed against us. On the other hand, we know that Iran uh, is very antagonistic to Saudi Arabia trying to make overtures to Israel. Some people have theorized, I'm not an expert in this, that the, one of the main motivations for the Hamas attack of October 7 was they wanted to, uh, they wanted to undermine Saudi's attempt to have a rapprochement with, with Israel. The Abrahamic Accords to be Mamshuk, what the Emirates and, and what Dubai is doing. So, in a sense, Iran is fighting what Saudi Arabia is trying to do at the same time that you have the Islamic world against us. And I'm sure this will come up again, but uh, Rev Chaim Vital is Mazber that part of why Yishmael is such a difficult Golos is because Yishmael has spiritual Zechliyas. Yaakov's merit is Tyrant Fila coming from the cold, their voice. Esav is brute force. So Ruchnius can certainly defeat brute force. But Yishmael has spiritual Zechliyas. Yishmael has the Zechus of Brismila. Yishmael has a Zechus of Tfila. Yishmael has a Zechus of Tzniyos. And although these are zechliyos that are used for evil causes, and I have to admit, I don't really understand why they would have a kayach, but just as a physicist would say, there is matter and dark matter. There is something called dark spiritual energy that exists in the world as well. So that means Yishmael can only be defeated by a superior manifestation of spirituality. And that's much, much harder. Ruchnius defeats Esav, for sure. But to defeat Yishmael, you need an extra kayach of Ruchnius, over and beyond what you would need to defeat 
Esau. So all of these things. And back then, by the way, even the Russian-Ukraine conflict are connected to Gobin Magog. So we have Russia-Ukraine from the north. We have Golos Yishmael, uh, both in Hamas and uh, generally the Palestinian uprisings and Islamic fundamentalism and terror. We have war against Iran and Arabia, Saudi Arabia, which is the undermining of the Abrahamic Accords. So these things point us to Gagin Maga. Now, again, I, I will go back to the Rambam, that in the absence of Nevuah, we can't really say anything for sure. And I'm not going to say any, any anyone who says things for sure uh, is probably wrong. But l'chalapachas, we're in chavle Mashiach. And as the morale says, we're also like the seed, we're in the smicha of Mashiach, because we realize that all of our systems fail. We're vulnerable, we're weak, we're precarious, even in the United States. And again, I have great fondness. I am still a, a dual, I have dual citizenship, and my own children are in the United States, where people think you're safe and secure and shalom alay nafshi. I think you're discovering how much anti-Semitism is just just under the surface of the veneer of civilization. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us no place is safe. You can't depend on anything. You can't depend on anybody. Everything can turn on a dime, keherifying, like the blink of an eye. Now, that could be horrifying. That could be scary. But if it reminds us, as the Mishnah says, that nothing, nothing can protect me but HaKadosh Baruch then Fakert, you've turned into the seed that disintegrates into the ground. And from that seed will come the smicha of, of Mashiach. So these are very, very scary times, to be sure. But it's Bedavka in these times that our emuna becomes meaningful. The Biskarab used to say, it's very easy to have emuna when you have a lot of money in the bank. The test of emuna is when you don't have any. And I would just paraphrase it to say, you know, it's easy to be a maimon when life is smooth and life is easy and we don't have challenges. But the real test of Emuna is, are we Maimon in Hashem? Are we Boteach in Hashem when times are difficult? And Be'ezra Hashem, in the Zechus of our Bitochen and Emuna, as well as other things that I think will come out in the Q&A, uh, that itself, the Gra writes, is a great, great Segula, Borg the Geula itself, in the Zechus of Emuna. And Be'ezra Hashem, this is the opportunity we all have to grow in our emuna, in our bitachain, bedafka, in difficult and challenging times. So that's my, my little bit of introduction. We can go on to the questions. Okay. Thank you, Reverend Braddock. Okay, before we go into the question, we'll take a little poll from everybody, and then we'll get into the questions. A lot of questions. Again, anybody who wants to ask love, you have a schuss that Reverend Braddock's here. Braddock, you can ask him any question. He's here, you know, <laughs> while we have it. Okay. Three poll questions. To what extent do you believe our current world is logical and coherent in the face of the complex events? So what do you think the world is holding? Do you think, A, very logical and coherent? 
be somewhat logical and coherent, B, not, not very logical and coherent, or D, not logical and coherent at all? Just different levels. Where do you think the world is holding to what's going on in the world? Like, you know, not, not us people, but the entire world, all the nations of the world. Second question. How optimistic are you about the resolution or outcome of the current situation? Four options. Um, Menachem, you can see the polls, right? Some people say they can't see it. I can see it. So I'm not sure why not everybody sees it. Rabbi Bradowitz, you see it? I, I do see it, yeah. Okay. Number two. Um, how optimistic how optimistic are you about the resolution or the outcome of the current situation? So four polls, very optimistic. Number two, I feel like there's no possibility of a good ending. Okay, no, let me redo the polls because a lot of people are saying they can't sense. Let me let me try it again. Hold on. Uh relaunch. Let's start again. Okay, I started again. I hope everybody can see it. Menachem, you can see it? Yeah. Okay, so I restarted it. Let's start from the beginning. To what extent do you believe our current world is logical and coherent in the face of the complex events? Number one, very logical and coherent. Number two, somewhat logical and coherent. Three, not very logical and coherent. Or D, not logical and coherent at all. To four levels. What do you think the world is holding with what's going on besides Asiyadin? Number two, how optimistic are you about the resolution or outcome of the current situation? Four options. A, very optimistic. B, I feel like there's no possibility of a good ending. B, I think this will this will end with larger tragedy. Or D, I believe this is the beginning of the coming of Mashiach. Number three, what do you attribute the rise in the openness of anti-Semitism in the world? And what actions do you believe that you could be taken to address it and combat it? Four possible answers. Lack of education and awareness. B, global rise in extremist ideologies. C, influence of social media and other online platforms. Or D, the persistence of Jew hate is deeply rooted in history. Little has changed over the past thousands of years. Those are the three poll questions. Um, again, it's opinions. Everybody, you know, vote whatever you think. Let's give it a few minutes. And um, let's let's give it a few minutes, and then we'll go through it together, everybody. It's, again, anybody wants to ask a live question, please text me, and we'll put you on the list. Okay, for all those who can't see the poll, I'm not sure why, a lot of people could see them, but uh, a lot of people are voting, we already have almost uh, almost 300 people voted, so <clears throat> let's give it another minute, and then we'll share them with everybody. Okay. Okay, I'm sharing the polls with everybody. Okay, the first question. To what extent do you believe our current world world is logical and coherent to the face of the complex events? Rabbi Rado, it's 3% of the, of the people here tonight think that the, the world is logical. 13% somewhat logical and coherent. 34% not very logical and coherent. And 50% not logical and coherent at all. This is what the Elam feels, Rabbi Rado. So you, you want to comment on any of that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... Again, I'm a, I'm a little torn about this question. I, I think that Lamaisa, uh, there is a certain logic to the rise of bigotry and hatred and all of these different wars. Uh, but I do think the fact that so many things are collapsing, things that were foundational, things that were assumed, uh, particularly maybe more in the United States than Israel. Israel, 
we know that life is chaotic and therefore the fact that it's irrational is actually rational because that's part of the rationality that we live in. But I think in the United States, I think there's quite a lot of surprises because one would have thought that American society had achieved a certain equilibrium, a certain stability, uh, you know, more than 200 years of building up a society. And yet we see all of the institutions collapsing. And it's not just anti-Semitism, it's defunding the police. Um, it's uh, the whole woke culture, uh, microaggressions, uh, even gender identity, Rahman al-Islam, is uh, so fluid and indefinite that a man is, you know, one would have thought, men, men, women, women, now all of that is totally a Hefkerveld. So in that sense, I think uh, we are living in a world of chaos, a world where everything is simply collapsing. And once again, I would tie that into a pre-Messianic uh, state of things in which we have to realize that we are not in charge. And when we know we are not in charge, that is when Hashem steps in to reveal his presence to us in good, miraculous ways. So I think just like the Gemara and Marcus, the famous Gemara and Marcus, when Rabbi Akiva sees the Shuel, sees the fox running, after, running uh, out of the Kodesh Akdashim, so everybody is crying, the Chachamim are crying, Rabbi Akiva laughs because he says, now that I know how bad things are, I know how good things are going to be. So in some ways, this disintegration of the world, as irrational as it is, gives us hope that we're on the cusp of, of okay, let's go to the second question. How optimistic are you about the resolution, the outcome of the current situation? Only 14% of people are optimistic. 5% feel like there's no possibility of a good ending. 10% I think this will be the end of, this will end with larger tragedy. And 71% of people, Robert Radowitz, feel, I believe this is the beginning of the coming of Mashiach. Well, all I would say is I, I, I subscribe to, to both answers at the same time. I think on one level, this will not resolve the political issues, unfortunately. Um, I think in the short term, it may exacerbate them. Um, I don't think uh, realistically, in terms of political and military objectives, uh, that Hamas can really be obliterated. Maybe the particular party Hamas might be destroyed. But I think that's going to intensify, God forbid, and I hope not, I hope I'm wrong, intensify uh, Arab and Islamic resentment, which unfortunately may carry itself out in a million different, very, very dangerous ways. So I think in the short term, we're not really going to be solving that much. On the other hand, um, I do feel, again, uh, with the disclaimer that I can't say that I know, that this is the precursor. Uh, this is part of the Chavli Moshiach that will result in Geula. But the only problem is you never know how long that process is. I mean, Rabbi Hanan Wasserman said the Holocaust, the World War II tragedies were Chavli Moshiach. So the truth of the matter is we've been in the Chavli Moshiach modality for more than 70 years. Now, that doesn't mean he was wrong. Bekert, he was right. But the Chavli Moshiach themselves can be Nimshach for a considerable amount of time. The only outside date we have is the year 6,000. And even that is not an article of faith. The Rambam does not even bring the Indian of the year 6,000. But even if you go with 6,000, you still have some years. So I don't think we're in a position to say Gu'ula is imminent, 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 although we could be miming. But I, I do think this is very definitely a shalav. It's very definitely a stage in the uh, messianic process.
Okay, let's jump to the last question, Reverend Bradowitz. Why do you attribute the rise of open anti-Semitism in the world, and what actions do you believe can be taken to combat it? So 6% say there's a lack of education and awareness. 6% say global rise in extremist ideologies. 13% influence of social media and online platform. And a whopping 75%. The persistence of Jewish hate is deeply rooted in history, and little has changed over the past thousands and thousands of years. Well, I think all four reasons are, are, are very, very valid. I just want to point out that a lot of the anti-Semitism from the left comes from very highly educated people in institutions like Harvard, NYU, Columbia, etc. So to simply talk about lack of education, I think is a little disingenuous. These are the highest, most highly educated people in our society. Yeah, and anti-Semitism from the right tends to be from less educated people. From the left, it tends to be from highly educated people. But I would add a fifth reason. And once again, I think this is part of the messianic process. And that is the, the Machlekes and the Gemara. Is Klal Yisrael going to be redeemed only when they do tshuva or even if they don't do tshuva? The Rambam Paskins has a compromised position. Ein Yisrael nigolin over the tshuva. There can only be geula b'tshuva, enochinami, but kvar hivticha taira. But the taira promises us that Klal Yisrael will come back to God. B'acharis ayamim. It's a whole question. How can God promise we'll all do tshuva? There's an issue of Hakobi de Shemayim, everything is in the hands of God, except for Yerash Okay, that's an interesting question. But the Rambam says the Abraham promises. In many, many ways, anti-Semitism is one of the tools that brings Jews back to Judaism. It's a way we would prefer that there wouldn't be, we wouldn't have to go in that direction. But Lamaisa, it has always been true, and it's even true now. Uh, somebody who does works on college campuses and they do college kirub mentions that Friday night, one of the last uh, Friday nights recently, after after Sukkot, after Simchat Torah, after October seven, a Jewish college student walked in to a Friday night dinner who had never gone to anything, and he said, "I see that my place is with you. All of my friends that I had been connected to, all of the causes that we celebrated and worked on." I thought I was part of them. I thought they were my chevra, so to speak. And I see that I'm different. And I want to be with my people. So I think in some mysterious way, all of these gezeros, uh, all of this anti-Semitism, may be a way to raise the consciousness of every Jew that we have to stick together, both in terms of Ben Adam Lechavero, Avas Yisrael, Achdos, I think as Thomas Paine said, we have to hang together or we'll surely be hung separately. <laughs> and uh, returning and returning to the Edrish, returning to our cottage board. So uh, I, once again, I would actually connect this to the Chavu Mashiach to bring Klaus Yisrael to Tshuva. Okay, Robert, we have a lot of questions. Let's get into it. Okay, you're on first. Go. Yaakov. Hi, Robert Bradowitz. Thank you for being with us again. So... I mean, it's very fascinating we're discussing this topic. Um, one of the biggest problems or challenges that many, including me, have during these times is the mixture of the known and the unknown. And meaning to say, you know, there is the sources you bring from Midrashim and Tana'a and Chazal. You know, that's the known. Yishmael is this, Esav is that. And there's also the unknown. We don't know what's going to be. You know, or if this is Chavli Mashiach. And 
there's also this factor that, um, like you said, you know, Emunah Bitochen doesn't necessarily mean there's not going to be casualties. So when people are in the unknown, they don't know what, we don't know what to do next. Like, so what are we supposed to make out of all of this? So Chazal say, this is going to happen. Chazal, dangerous things are going to happen. So like, what are we supposed to equip ourselves with? Just Davin? I mean, if Davening doesn't for sure help, like, does, could Davening help if the Chazal say this and this and this is supposed to happen? Or, or like, what, what is our goal in these times? with all these yeah. fear of, you know, the known and the unknown together. Yeah, well, well listen, I, I, th I think you're expressing a feeling that, you know, many, many of us have indeed just not knowing what's going on and and, and, and having anxiety, having pachat, and, and, and even the Chavle Mashiach message, although it's, it's comforting, but it doesn't take away the anxiety because it does mean that very, very awful things can can still conceivably happen and uh, what does a person do so let me just mention two points uh one is a story involving the briskarov uh the briskarov was in the warsaw ghetto he had lost his rabbitson he lost some children and the briskarov uh we know generally had a, a bit of a nervous temperament you know because of his era shamayim you know he was always masubic he didn't do a mitzvah properly he would rethink it and, and go over it but in the Warsaw Ghetto, all of a sudden, he was very calm. He had Manucha Sanepic. He taught, he learned, he uh, gave Aetis. So somebody had the chutzpah to ask the Briskarov, you know, you're so nervous in normal times. Now is a real time to be nervous. Why are you so calm? So the Briskarov said, when it comes to mitzvahs, that's my responsibility. When it's my responsibility, I'm nervous because I can make mistakes. But what if you're in a massive where there's nothing you can do, right? There's nothing you can do. You're stuck in the Warsaw Ghetto. So some people would go crazy with anxiety. It says, I bedafka have menuchas Because then I know it's totally musr to HaKadosh Baruch When it's musr to HaKadosh Baruch I have serenity. Now, the Briskarev was not Pollyannish. The Briskarev knew exactly what the Holocaust was. The Briskarev himself lost uh, his Rebetzin. But the Briskarov understood that if Hashem is running the world, there is a Gam Zula Tova. David HaMelech says, Gam Ki Eilech Begeit Even if I walk through the shadow of death, Lo Ira I am not afraid. Ki Ata Imadi, because you are with me. Shiftecha Mishantecha, Heimei Your stick and your staff, and the Mephorshim explained that the stick is what you get hit with, and the staff is what you are supported with. The Abishter sometimes gives us a shaven and sometimes gives us a mishenis. But as long as I know, you know, something to support us, but as long as I know it's yours, now, <clears throat> again, I, I don't mean to give anybody musr, I'm speaking to myself as well. We need to be mechazik ourselves in these inyanim. But the other bit of information I want to give you um, is that all of these destructive prophecies are not inevitable. The Rambam lays down a very esotistic rule in Hilchais Nevuah, that Nevuahs for negative things can always be changed by tshuva, and even without tshuva sometimes, there's a midah of rachamim that Hashem has on Paul Israel. And that's why halachically, a Navi can be proven to be false only if he tells you a good thing is happening and it doesn't happen. 
If the Navi tells you a bad thing is going to happen and it doesn't happen, that's not a raya. It's not a raya that he's a true Navi, but it's not a raya that he's a false Navi. So therefore, the whole Mahalach of Gogin Magra can be short-circuited, can be circumvented, can be changed. Even if it began, it can be truncated and shortened because this is the getter of Navua Lara. Navua Lara can be Nishtana. And if it can be Nishtana, we have an Acharayas to do what we can. Now, the Kayach of Tefillah, well, well, first of all, I do want to point out, and I, I, it's important to make this point in light of some other developments, that I think every Jew has to have a tremendous Akara Satayi to the Chayalim, to the idea. Uh, whatever your thought about uh, Medina and politics and everything else, these are people who are risking their lives on a daily basis. And from or not from, they're doing it for Am Yisrael and doing it for Eretz Yisrael. So I have a deep gratitude and appreciation for the Chayolim. And uh, people who say the Chayolim uh, are doing nothing because it's all from Hashem are making a very serious mistake because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Machai of us to engage in Ishtadlis. And therefore, these are Aifanim of Ishtadlis. I have to say that. But at the same time, we also have to be Makir that ultimately, without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, nothing's going to work. Uh, and therefore, uh, the idea would be that our Torah and our tefillah are our main weapons. But it's very hard for us to see how our tefillahs are being piled. You know, when I have a gun, when I have a machine gun and I shoot a terrorist, we see a direct cause and effect between my bullets and the terrorist dropping dead or whatever. When I sit and I daven and I say to Hillen, or I learn a taisvis, or I learn a, a Chumash and Rashi. I don't necessarily see what that's doing. But that's a chisarin in us. We just don't see the cause and effect. But you have to know the cause and effect are real. It could very well be, I don't know, that the, 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 the block Gemara you learned today saved the soldier. The block Gemara you learned today allowed a hostage to be released. We don't know. We don't have the eyes to perceive this reality, but it is a reality. Your tefillahs are not in vain. And if the tefillah does not give you a total Yeshua at that moment, it does something. And again, as the stipler used to say from Makairis, that every tefillah, even the tefillah of the Holocaust, the people who were killed in the Holocaust, goes to Shemayim and it's Payal Yeshua's for Am Yisrael, maybe 70 years. You see? So, we can't be meyayish. We can't feel that our tefillahs have no significance. They have tremendous significance. And it goes back to a, actually a beautiful thought that Rav Tzadok of Lublin says. He says, just like you have to have a moon in Hashem, you have to have a moon in yourself. And what do we mean a moon in yourself? That you make a difference. Your learning matters. Your dominating matters. Your tzaka matters. Your avas Yisrael matters. No person can say, who am I? I'm so insignificant that I don't have that contribution. So a yid has to live with uncertainty because we know we live in a world that is confusing, as, as the poll indicated. All of you understand that. We live in a world that's irrational. We live in a world that's unpredictable. You know, this is a common mistake I want to point out that Americans make, including me, when we come to Eretz Israel. You know, as an American... Our overall philosophy is you negotiate with people, you work things out, the shalom, 
and everything is, is going to be wonderful. So I naturally think, well, why can't we just sit down with the Arabs, you know, and have a schmooze and uh, work things out? It's a different world. This is an irrational world. This is a world that works with different types of calculations where conciliation is treated as weakness. So all of the things that we think normally work don't work. So I understand the frustration. But don't be miyayish. Know that you can make a difference. And if you can make a difference, you must make a difference. Because that which we can do, we have a responsibility to be able to do. I mean, there's a story going around. I don't know if you heard the story. There was a soldiers in the hospital and there was a bathroom. Did you hear the story? No. And they asked the Bakr and the soldiers, why are you not in the in the thing? So they said, we're, we're davening, we're learning in yeshiva. They said, but why are you not coming to the front line to fight? They said, we're fighting by saying to him and learning. So the guy said, uh, we daven each Bakr davens for a specific soldier. So the Bakr gave, so he said, yeah, what's the soldier's name you're davening for? So he gave the soldier's name, and that was the soldier that was injured in the hospital. He said, oh my gosh, that's yeah. my name. So <laughs> the soldier said, if you're learning and davening for him, how come, how come he's injured? So the Bachar answered him back, he maybe would have died if I wouldn't learn a Davin. And then it goes further, and the way the story ends is that they they found out that when he got injured, it was a time that he was supposed to be by Seder, and he happened to have not gone to Seder to learn that during that time, and that was the time that he was injured. Wow, wow, wow. This is a story that's going around all over the place. Well, um, you know, once in a while, you know, we live in a fog, we live in a veil, we live in a world where we just don't see the cause and effect of Ruchnius on the Gashmias. Once in a while, the Abishter lifts the curtain so you could see what the reality is. And I think this story is an excellent example of seeing the Mitzias. And then most of the time, we're not going to see it, but at least from stories like that, we know that it exists. And that's a very, very important, important thing. Now, I would also point out, too, this this will almost be the opposite. And that is, you know, people ask me questions. What more can I do, et cetera? The person lists like 50 things they're doing. (laughs) I didn't think there was more they needed to do. But sometimes your avayda is, serve HaKadosh Baruch Don't necessarily think about Mashiach. Don't think about what you'll get uh, from the mitzvah. Do the mitzvah. Focus on your avayda. Be an Eved Hashem. I think there's a chazal that they say, if you're planting a tree and Mashiach comes, finish planting the tree before you greet Mashiach. Sometimes we get impatient. I mean, people will say to me, I've been davening for a whole month and nothing has happened. First of all, you don't know what's happened. But what? What do you expect? A month? I mean, things take time. And it's not your job. It's not our job to figure out how much time needs to be taken. It's not our job to give orders to the Rebbeinu Shabbat. Our job is to be Avdei Hashem. And I think if we focus on our Aveda, and of course I include Ben Adam L'Chaveirei as much as Ben Adam L'Makam, it's very, very important. Avas Yisrael, Achdus. We focus on our Aveda. I think that sorrow will take care of itself. Uh, we shouldn't necessarily be focusing so much on, I want this to happen. You can't give Hashem orders. He has... His mahalach, he has his reasons. We don't always understand them, but we very rarely fully understand them. And therefore, we shouldn't necessarily be so upset, obsessed with getting specific results from what we're doing. There's another story. I mean, this story was like I, I posted it. There was a lady that one of the 
one of the soldiers' mothers, they put on the tichel, and she said she was makabal to keep Shabbos, and she started doing lafrosh challah. Yeah. And then the next day, her, her daughter is the only one that really got saved. But I'm just saying that. That's yeah, a, yeah, that, that that was a marvelous story. And uh, yeah. if you talk, you talk about the pintalayid. I, I believe the woman was not was not uh, shomeris mitzvahs generally, but the heartfelt. I, I saw her tefillah. She said she loved Sasha. She said she loves him when her daughter was in captivity. She said she loved Sasha, and could Hashem have mercy? And you know, David Amalek says. A broken heart. Hashem cannot despise. And Elohim is Midas Adin. Even the Midas Adin of Elohim. And this uh, really lovely woman uh, was a lave Nishbar Vinitka. I don't know if you heard, there was a member of the Knesset, a woman, made a speech. I don't know if it was the next day. I don't remember her name. It's a long name. Uh, but she said, that this mother is her hero. She said, this woman who spoke was a religious woman. She said, I saw what Amuna was in what that woman was doing with her fresh asylum. And uh, she is the one that teaches us what Amuna is. Okay. Brad, it's a lot of questions. Let's try to get to some more. Okay. Um, hold on one second. Hello. Hi, Rabbi Rowitz. Um, regards, it's Eliza. Um, nice to see you too. Um, my question is, how are we to know when we should move to Eretz Israel? Aside from our personal shyness to our our individual rabbis or rav, is there a um, any indication that's going to say? you know, go, it's time to go. Like everyone should really, I mean, we're hearing messages around um, on various, from various places saying, you know, come, it should be in Eretz Israel, it's time to move. Everyone should, you know, Chutzlar is is a mess and it's just time for Klai Israel to be back in Israel. You know, um, again, that's an excellent question. Um, once again, I think the rise of a world, in fact, I should have said this before as well, the rise of uh, worldwide anti-Semitism may indeed be one of the messages to kind of get out of there. You know, it's Chutzlaris is kind of finishing up for Klal Yisrael, and we have to get back back home. And people say, but it's a war. Israel is so dangerous. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. The world is dangerous. And, you know, I'm not a Navi, and I can't take Achrayas for, for people's safety. I cannot, you know, guarantee anything. But it seems to me, living in Yerushalayim, that most parts of Israel are as safe or safer than many parts of the United States or England or Germany or France and the like. So I think in daily life, uh, you're pretty safe here. And even with Derech HaTeva, uh, the Israeli security is, is very excellent. And, uh, you know, so I think it is a reasonably safe decision to move here. And I think the rise of anti-Semitism is Hashem's indicator that we need to go. Uh, so I think every Jew has to at least ask themselves the question, why am I not in Eretz Yisrael? If you don't ask the question, something's missing. However, at the same time, I don't push Aliyah for everybody. I'm going to divorce this from Messianic considerations, although maybe we really can't divorce it. 
I think that uh, you have to look at your family situation. You have to look at your children because, frankly, uh, the culture and the chinuch and the educational system can raise a lot of challenges for children, depending on what they are. And the dream of living in Eretz Yisrael, as wonderful as it is, cannot be uh, at, at, the, at the expense of the chinuch that your children need. Now, I don't mean to suggest that the chinuch opportunities aren't in your Eretz Yisrael. Of course they are. But these are tailor-made decisions that have to be made. And you can't just jump with my enthusiasm. I want to move to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, in terms of chinuch opportunities for Anglo communities, things are actually getting better. Uh, different types of schools are being formed that, more, that are more attuned to the individuality of, of, of the students. Chanoch Lenaro P. Darko, that was historically ignored in Israel, totally. Uh, Baruch Hashem is beginning to be reasserted. So I think things are getting much, much better in that front. But to me, that is the most serious issue, uh, to try to find the correct chinuch environment for your child. So that is my big hesitation on uh, Aliyah for everybody. Another issue, again, which may be a localized institutional issue, is the role of a base Knesset in Eretz Yisrael is, a very, is very, very different than in Chutz Laaretz. In Chutz Laaretz, if you're not in yeshiva, you're not in kolel, so essentially your shul and your rav are your main spiritual connection. In Eretz Yisrael, uh, in most places, a shul is where you dive in, you don't really create a community within the base Knesset. So many working people in particular, if they're not in yeshiva or kolel, they don't have a rav that they can talk to. They don't have a kihila uh, that they can connect to. And that could create a tremendous emptiness and loneliness that I think is a serious problem. So those are some things you have to think about. Now, I realize that you were asking the question more uh, from the perspective of Geula and Moshiach. And I think that is a factor to consider. Uh, I'm really talking about it uh, even before October 7th in terms of Chinuch and finding a Rav, and finding a base Knesset and a Tehila. But I think those are still going to be relevant considerations, even during this Tekufa. But uh, once again, Hashem is certainly saying we have to think about Aliyah. There's a tremendous, tremendous problem in Western countries, and that is people are not asking the question. You know, you have to ask the question. Now, maybe your answer will be, this is not the right time for us. And that's okay. But not to ask the question is irresponsible. Uh, the Abishter wants Jews to live in Eretz Israel unless they have legitimate reasons not to. There are legitimate reasons not to, but you have to have a legitimate reason. You can't stop, as I say, oh, Eretz Israel is not a big deal in my, in my mind. That's for sure. Murray Dick Robert Bradowitz. Okay. There's a lot more questions. Let's get to it. Okay, you're on unmute. Hi. I'm on. Good morning, yes. Rabbi Bradowitz. Um, I have a very I guess it's a simple question. Can you take a moment to explain the war of Magog and Magog and its source? Because everybody seems to be relying on that, that that's what we're in. We're in that phase, but Nobody seems to know, can back it up with anything. And if you could explain it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you the big problem. The big problem is that Gog and Mogog is in Tanakh. And uh, 
B'nai Torah often don't learn Tanakh. So, so we talk about Gog and Magog, we actually haven't learned about the War of Gog and Magog. But the War of Gog and Magog is described in the book of Yechezkel. And in fact, uh, it is the Haptorah of uh, the first day of Sukkot. Uh, and there's supplementary Nebuot in Zechariah. So Yechezkel and Zechariah are the two sources of what are called the War of Gog and Magog. Now, let me point out that contrary to what people think, it's not Gog versus Magog. Those are not the two sides of the war. Rather, Gog is the melech of a country called Magog. And it mentions, what it mentions in the book of Yechezkel is that Gog, the king of Magog, will assemble many, many nations to the north, and they will turn against Yerushalayim. And uh, it will seem that Yerushalayim will be very, very vulnerable, but then Hashem will defeat the forces of Gog and Magog, and that will bring the, the Geula. Now, in truth, in truth, if you think about this, in spite of all of the connections people make to Gog and Magog, the particular event that is being described in the Nabi Yechezkel, well, hasn't happened yet. I mean, Yerushalayim has not been under this attack, unless you kind of say the UN debates about Jerusalem as part of that attack. Now, some people want to connect it to 1948 when the Arabs uh, took over uh, the old city, right? So, which means that part already happened. But that just shows you that people are picking bits and pieces based on different chazals, but they're not really able to match the events to the narrative exactly. And, of course, the big problem is that who is Gog and Magog? What nations do they represent? There's no nation in the world that is called Gog and Magog. Some connected to Russia, Ukraine. Some connected to Arab Israeli. Some connected to Cold War. Some connected to Holocaust. But, you know, the thing is, you still haven't matched it up to the particular events. So this is part of the mystery and part of why the Rambam says we really cannot interpret Gogomago with certainty until Moshiach comes, and then we'll, uh, we'll understand. Now, keep in mind as well that there is two concepts here that are operating simultaneously, but they're not the same thing. There is the War of Gog and Magog, and there's the Galus of Yishmael. Now, when people talk, and I, I include myself probably, we often collapse the two as if we're talking about the same thing. These are two distinct overlapping phenomena. The War of Gog and Magog and Malchus Yishmael. As far as I know, Yishmael is not directly identified as Gog and Magog because Gog and Magog comes from the north. You see? So all we know generally, and I understand there's a lot of fog here, is this is part of the Chavle Mashiach. Collectively, these are the Chavle Mashiach. But we really cannot identify Yishmael itself as Gog and Magog. That Gog and Magog is closer to Russia, to America, you know, the powerful northern uh, northern uh, countries. So your confusion is, is 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 well taken, but I think we just look at it as Hagle Mashiach, and all of these different things are going are going. You you did say that we were in the Galut Ishmael, right? Is that That's I correct. Yeah, I heard something very beautiful the other day. Not not that I'm a Torah scholar, but somebody said there's a story in the Gemara, very famous story, 
of Rabbi Akiva and three other gedolim that went to the base Hamikdash and it was destroyed. And only Rabbi Akiva was laughing. And he said that he was laughing because he saw the shualim, the foxes in the base Hamikdash. And that means that the prophecy, I don't know which prophet determined that, but that the prophecy will come true. If they're shualim, then there will be redemption. And somebody said the same letters in Shualim are in Yishmael. So very good. So Um, perhaps (laughs) that's a positive sign that we are. Our book is true, (laughs) and uh, it's the Emes, whatever. Amen, amen. And again, uh, Rav Chaim Vital writes that the Golas of Yishmael is the final one, and he brings the Raya. Uh, that Mashiach is described as Ani, a poor man, Rochev Alachamor, who will be riding on a donkey, and Yishmael is described as Am Hadomel Chamor, a nation that's compared to a donkey. Mashiach will be riding on the back of Yishmael, and that will be the precursor of the Geula. Now, let me tell you two things from the Vilna Gaon. One is very scary and one is very comforting. The scary thing is that there's a tradition from the Gra, although it's not written down in any of his Svarim, that the War of Gog and Magog will only be 12 minutes long. Now, for 250 years, nobody understood what type of war could only be 12 minutes long. Unfortunately, we now have the knowledge as to what type of war could be over in 12 minutes, and that's a nuclear holocaust. That, God forbid, God forbid, Ogumogog mm-hmm. might be a nuclear war. Now, to, to scare you even worse, the Navi Zacharia, when he describes Ogumogog, describes people's flesh as melting, their, their flesh liquefying, which once again would be uh, something from a nuclear war. So that's really, really scary. But the other thing that Vilna Gaon said is what I said earlier, that all of Gog and Magog can be circumvented by tshuva and rachamim. Amen. And it's not necessarily a done deal. Therefore, we have to be mispalel. Um, not to end the process, but to make the process an easier process. So we'll come to the Geula route without all of the extreme Kevle Mashiach. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Okay. Hi, Sarah, you're on. Hi. I kind of have two questions. One's a little theoretical, and the other's kind of hokey. I'll start with the hokey one. But it ties in, like, preparing in some way, like, physically. I, I, you know, I always took with a grain of salt these doomsday, excuse me, doomsday sayer, Alex Jones, whatever. You know, the preppies, uh, do you think that we should do any kind of, like, physical preparation of storing I don't know, water, you know, water, even taking money out of the bank, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like you don't know how far to go or you feel like your life's in limbo. You just don't even know how far you can move on with your life. And the other thing I just wondered is I, I see a, pro- a progression. Uh, it's one of those, that, what's happening in the world that feels just sort of a logical outcome of I mean, all the decadence. Is there any way that could be reversed? I mean, you mentioned Shuba, but I mean, the outside, you know, even working with the, you know, Goyam, or just something to take a stand against uh, the whole disintegration of our moral, our, our moral fiber. 
left. So I mean, those are my two. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, these are two of uh, the two very excellent questions. I mean, yeah, uh, some of you. your first question, of course, is referring to uh, physical preparations. Uh, some people are concerned that economies may collapse. The food supply chain may yeah. be endangered. Uh, do we need to enter into survivalist mentality in terms of storing our food, putting our money uh, under our pillows? My father money. used to, I just want to say my father used to get these newspapers because he was like um, really concerned about a lot of the, maybe the extreme right wing or something, but you know, the, these survivalists, he'd actually look at, you know, got, back in the days we had newspapers, he would subscribe okay. to them. He'd see them out, living out in the woods there with guns, you know, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just saying. Living off the grid, meaning you're no longer connected to all of these systems. You yeah. know, there's even a nightmare scenario that there's apparently a certain type of bomb that just destroys electromagnetic frequencies, meaning it doesn't oh. uh, kill people, but it could literally destroy the entire internet, the entire computer systems oh. of the world. And this is a nightmare scenario that would just, you know, it was. Mm -hmm. It would effectively destroy the world without physically destroying the world, but the, right. So, you know, I, I I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I myself, by nature, am, tend not to be an alarmist. Or maybe I'm being naive. I can see that. Mm -hmm. I, I I believe Hashem will not allow the world to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Meaning things can happen. There can be nuclear war, etc. But mm -hmm. there will always be the ability to survive in the world. And I don't think there would be a total collapse. Certainly in Eretz Israel, for sure not. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a reason to come to Eretz Israel, and there'll be food, and there'll, there'll be shelter, mm -hmm. and we'll be happy to welcome you. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what my response should be to the immorality of the world, and there is no question that the world has turned uh, into such a haven of decadence, uh, such a haven really of evil. It's like Sodom, Sodom and Amorah. You know, uh, at some point, God had to God destroyed Sodom and Amorah. Uh, would he do this to the world? Um, you know, the problem is, the more we protest against this stuff, uh, the more we get marginalized, criticized, disregarded. So I think what you have to do is you got to create within your own families sanctity, holiness. Mm -hmm. Create your own Beisamikdash. Create your own ghetto. Know that you can't directly change what's going on in the world, mm -hmm. but by working on yourself and your family. And if enough people do that, the world gets changed that way. Rabbi Sosalantra famously said that when he was young, he thought he would change the world. And then he thought, ah, I'll just do my city, I'll just do my family, I'll just do my wife. Mm -hmm. He finally said, I'll work on myself. And that's going to have a ripple effect. So... These things about you know, protests, for example, uh, let's imagine. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine that um, there's a gay a gay rally going on, gay marriage, right? Uh, so should we have counter protests? I'm not so sure. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure if that advances our cause. I think we advance the cause of holiness by education, by persuasion, by kindness. I wouldn't necessarily do it by this type of agitation. I think that creates more antagonism and we get labeled homophobic. So sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I think you got to focus on your family and your community and make that holy. And hopefully there'll be a ripple effect one way or the other. 
you know, the Bhavacha Rebbe always said, Makta, make this, you know, your place, your merits, this role. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's so. And even if you're in Eretz Israel, you got to make your place Eretz Israel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Thank you. Okay, Murray Dick Let's go to the next question. You're on. Hi, my name is Sophia Sarah Esther Tamarkin, and I thank you for this opportunity to send to ask your question live. I listen to your questions and answers and enjoy it so much. Um, I was born in the former Soviet Union, and most of my family members and friends are very far-fetched I, uh, for them that Mashiach times and, uh, you know, returning to the life of Torah and mitzvahs is a very far-fetched idea. Even if they light Shabbat candles, it's, um, I, it, t- to me, it seems like a, like a fairy tale that they should embrace the Torah lifestyle. So they will probably continue living as they are, even if Mashiach does arrive. Will there be some kind of a miraculous awakening that is beyond common sense in my limit with my limited uh, perception of reality and understanding where we come from and will there be Jews that are still living in diaspora and perhaps not fully embracing um, Judaism and Jewish lifestyle even after Mashiach comes thank you so much yeah thank you thank you uh, see that's kind of a downer question meaning to say we pray for Mashiach and we when Mashiach comes we'll still have non-religious Jews who live in Kutzvaret uh, that may be a possibility, but I, I think I do think it's unlikely. Let me, let me just remind you that during the second temple period, second temple, we had a base of Mikdash. Most of the Jews were not living in Eretz Israel. They didn't bother going back, and many Jews intermarried, and many Jews were not keeping Shabbat. So having a base on Mikdash is not a guarantee of everything being good. But I do think that our understanding of the Messianic vision is different. I think, I think when Mashiach comes, he will usher in a spirit of holiness, a spirit of repentance, a spirit of peace in the whole world. Even the non-Jewish world will acknowledge uh, the Jewish people and Jerusalem as the place of Hashem. So I, I do think that as Hashem, even your relatives will observe the mitzvot when the Mashiach comes. And, and hopefully before Mashiach comes, they'll be inspired as well. You know, you can never tell. You know, you say it would take a miracle, and maybe it would take a miracle. I, 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 I don't deny what you're saying. But these miracles do happen. Uh, Jews who are very, very far from Torah, sometimes just they get in contact with their inner core, which Hasidus calls the pintalian, the little spark of holiness that's in them. This war is a good example. You know, um, I'm sure you've all, you all know this. Tens of thousands of soldiers who are not religious they want to wear tzitzis. They want to be connected. Many of them want to wear tefillin. Uh, those Chabad Shaliach, I believe, who lost a son recently, and he was on an airplane with 200 uh, people, 200 Jews, and he asked all of them to wear tefillin because his son can no longer wear tefillin, and they all agreed to it, and even the pilots came out. You know, there were three pilots, so they took turns coming out, and they wore tefillin. So one of the great things that the Baba Jerebi taught us uh, was the notion, and Chabad, Baruch Hashem, I'm a great admirer of Chabad, putting aside the Mashiach business, which is a controversy, but in terms of the Chabad's understanding of the soul of a Jew, it is so wonderful. They never give up on anybody. Every person can come close to Hashem. In fact, the Rebbe didn't even like the phrase. We talk about Kira Rechokin, people who are far from God, bringing them near. It's a common phrase. 
The Rebbe didn't like it. He says, why are you calling a Jew far from God? Every Jew is near to God. They just don't know it. And that's, you know, you know, that's a beautiful thought. I'm not taking somebody far from Hashem and bringing him near. I'm revealing to him that he's already close. So I would just tell you, don't give up on your relatives. Uh, eventually, changes can happen. Slowly, 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 a little bit. Shabbat candles, you know, whatever it is. Every little thing counts. There's no such thing as a mitzvah that's so small that Hashem is not, uh, does not consider it to be very, very precious. So, Hatzlacha Rabbi, much, much Thank you, Rabbi. If you don't mind, the second part of the question, will everybody return to Israel or there will still be um, a Galut Jews living outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Rashi brings uh, an interesting Chazal that God will go into the diaspora and drag the Jews back to Israel in chains. So I think you see two interesting things from Russia. Number one, a lot of Jews won't want to go back. So you're right on that. But number two, they're going to go back anyway. <laughs> so, so it seems to be there will not be a diaspora from Mashiach. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Okay, Rabbi, right away, so let's get some more questions in over here. Unmute, please. Hi. Hello? Yes. Oh, yes. I wanted to ask you, I deal with somebody who is not, I deal with somebody who is not from, she has a daughter who is very from, um, she even married somebody who's a rub. And uh, she keeps asking me all the time, she started lighting candles, uh, but she's not keeping Shabbos. But she she keeps asking me all the time now that this happened, and and the, she doesn't understand how Hashem could allow this to happen. And I don't know how to answer her. She keeps coming back to the same question. Well, you know, listen. Um, you know, in light of a Holocaust uh, seventy five years ago, when six million Jews. I mean. Again, what happened on October 7 is, is a tragedy, and of course it's a tragedy, but it's not the first tragedy. I mean, we it's not the worst tragedy. Uh, we've had Holocaust. We had Crusades. We have pogroms. Uh, we have righteous people having cancer and children dying. The question of why does a kind, compassionate God allow tragedies to happen is a very, very deep and difficult question. Uh, this was Moshe Rabbeinu asked God. Show me your way. We did a whole share. Tzadik Varalo, we did a whole share. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so in a sense, to simply bring up the Hamas massacre as a reason not to believe in God, I, I think it's frankly disingenuous because we have a whole history of right. many, 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 many And tragedies. also the Holocaust. She brings it in. She doesn't okay, just... She brings it in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I understand. This is what she's living through, so that's why. No, I, I got you. It's more immediate. It's more immediate her, so she feels the impact much more. Well, you know, I, I can't give reasons for God, but let me let me just mention one one little thing. And again, this is just a, a thought. You know, we've forgotten what life was like in Israel the year, you know, right before October seventh. For more than a year before October seventh, Israeli society was being torn apart by dissension, by machlokas by Sinat Chinam, whether it was the secular riots against judicial reform, which, by the way, was actually a good idea, 
or whether it was the religious uh, against the draft, uh, the, the draft of yeshiva students. People were talking about Israel disintegrating, Israel's democracy being destroyed. In fact, some have said that that emboldened Hamas because they're hearing the message that soldiers are, aren't, aren't going to report to reserve duty in protest. Baruch Hashem, they did report. But if, it's, if there was a thought they weren't going to report, then the enemy might think it was a good time to attack. There was disunity. There was hatred. There was polarization. And now we have a war, a tragedy. And the tragedy is a tragedy. But you should know that if there is a silver lining in this tragedy, it's, it's brought Klal Yisrael together in some very, very beautiful ways. Uh, religious, secular, Haredi, Dati Liumi, Chiloni. There were Haredim who actually uh, joined the army, I think, in uh, 2000. Uh, and uh, many are involved in, in the Tzitzis campaign or giving Chizuk to the Chayolim. And, you know, Hamas didn't care if you were a black keeper or a knitted keeper or no keeper at all. And Baruch Hashem, we're reaching a level where we're also, we're also not paying so much attention. So what I'm telling you is, I'm not giving you reasons for things, but I'm telling you is that often tragedies like this are the catalyst to bring out unity, togetherness, love. There is something good that comes out of these difficulties that we wouldn't have had had we not gone through these struggles. Now, God waits for us to come up with Avas Yisrael and Achdos in good times. When we don't, then Hashem has to move to a plan B, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, I wish there would be a better way, but sometimes it's human nature. I'm I told her, I almost, it's, that's what I told her, that we created such a Cholo Hashem by yeah. publicly going on the streets and, and going against each other and yeah. showing that we're not Yachad and whatever, that unfortunately, I'm sure it's a cave wave to Hashem also that he had to go to this Madrega to bring us together. Yes, and, and well, I 100% I, I agree with you. That, that's a very, very good point. And, and I don't want to get into blaming people, but I think it's also connected to gay marches and Tel Aviv. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that yeah, are going the whole on. Thing. That at some yeah. point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I got to bring people back to the right place. And sometimes that takes tremendously painful cataclysmic cataclysmic events. But again, I don't I don't want to blame you know, I mean, uh, we religious people have also much, much to do about in terms of caring in terms of reaching out so all of us have to focus yeah. on what we can we need to do um my big fear is that when this milchama is over and i hope it'll be over very very soon it'll just be back to normal let's go back to the way it was you know people said after covid life would change and you know i'm not sure i'm not sure if it did <laughs> you know there was the idea that We've been separated, now we're together, it'll be a different world. Well, I'm not sure. We have a tendency to just go back to normal, like an elastic band, a rubber band. You, know? you stretch it, but then it snaps back. It would be a real tragedy if the gains that we had from this tragedy would be lost. And I hope we can hold on to the Achtos and the Abbas Yisrael, which is so, so important for our survival. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
Brad, we'll have another live question. There's some questions we still need to get to that people sent in. Okay, you're on. Hi, how are you? Um, good evening. Um, unlike the previous questions, which were more in the Hashkafa and the, uh, you know, why, and I just have a personal question of Avodah Hashem with us. I, I have a difficult life, and I compensate for it by being uh, sort of a little bit of a late, and then you're making people smile, make people laugh. And I... Um, after the October 7th events, I found myself being really, really sad and, you know, really working on myself to, to be nice about him. And it made me sad. It made me depressed. And then I, at one point I said, you know, it's not good to be depressed either. So I try, I, so I, I pull myself out of it, but when I'm out of it, I become back to that exuberant, happy glates. And I know that, I know that the two extremes are no good. But it just, it, it can't be that you're supposed to be depressed the whole time. And it can't be you're supposed to be exuberant the whole time. I'm just trying to figure out how to balance the two and um, and feel both ways. I don't want to feel guilty that I'm being too happy, but I don't want to be depressed either. You know, what you tell me reminds me of the, uh, the Demari and Chagiga about uh, two people who were comedians. And they made other people laugh. Yeah. They get a share in Olam Haba because they brought Simcha to the world. You know, even the Chayalim, they get together and they laugh and they sing. You know, uh, Hashem doesn't want you to be perpetually sad. You're not going to, you're not helping anybody by just being sad. Uh, Hashem wants you to serve him with Simcha. And certainly if you bring Simcha to other people, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you can think to yourself that you're also doing it. For the for Israel, for Eretz Israel, for Am Israel, to bring some simcha in the world, so people can serve Hashem with simcha. So being too exuberant can't be the answer either. It, 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 well, it, you know, again, it's hard for me to measure too exuberant. I don't know exactly what you're doing, but you know, you try to have a balance. I mean, you try, of course. I I, I assume that you know you you daven for 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 the, yeah, the of masses. course, of course, but but there is there is a, a an issue of eich nashir ashir hashem alad mas nechar, which obviously is referring to the share of the levim. But but it's also how could we ever sing? How could we ever? There's that also, and it's just very hard to. conflict the whole time. No, I I hear you. It, 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 it is it is a conflict, but but I think uh, you you have to move to a modality that allows you to function spiritually in the best way that you can. And if, as you say, you have a difficult life and you might be prone to, to depression, then, then, then keeping yourself happy is, is, is L'shem Shemayim. It actually is an Avaita Sashem. I would recommend this, though. I would recommend, you know, the Balatanya talks about this in a different context. The Balatanya talks about the sadness that a person has over their sins. You know, the person should be tzibrachan. You should have a broken heart over your sins. Like so you recommend, yeah, that, right, yeah. recommend that you give yourself an hour where you cry and you moan and you realize how worthless you are. And the rest of the day, you serve Hashem B'Simcha. Now, I don't know how easy it is to turn your emotions on and off, right. but he actually suggests segmenting your schedule. There is a time in which you cry and you sob and, and you feel the pain. And then other times you have to work, we have to be in a modality of simple. Now that doesn't mean uh, hilalus, that doesn't mean, you know, wild exuberance. I think you're right. A certain amount of restraint is in order. 
but uh, you know, humor and simcha have their place even in Thank an you age. very much. Yeah. Thank Here's you. a question that's a little bit similar that somebody sent in. How can I navigate through my own challenging time while acknowledging that my struggles are relatively minor compared to what is happening in Israel, whether the hostages or the war? You know, people struggle with this. They're going through their own challenges. Well, I mean, listen, um, you know, uh, you are still a person. You are. You still have a life. Uh, once again, I would recommend uh, segmentation, meaning there ought to be times in which you focus on Klal Yisrael, you focus on the matzah, then you got to focus on your life. You got to multitask, meaning the Abishter gave you many Nisyanis. Some of the Nisyanis are Klalias, are communal, and some are individual. And each of them has its makam. Each of them has its importance. I mean, I have. if, if you have children, I, I got to raise my children. <laughs> I mean, what? I'm not supposed to worry about my kids because there's a war going on in Israel. I mean, you know, I still have to raise my children. So uh, you shouldn't feel guilty. I mean, I, it, it sounds to me from the question a little bit, how can I care about my private problems uh, if there are hostages in Israel? Well, that's like what parents used to say, the old joke, uh, finish the food on your plate because there are starving kids in Africa, you know, as if that's going to help, you know. So I think you have to understand that Hashem gave you many, many challenges, and we have to try to address all of them and Hashem is infinite, and He can help you on the cloud, and He can help you on the prat, and you should turn to Him for all of these, all of these things. Don't be guilty. Your life is important too. Uh, each person is like a ben yachid, an only child to Hashem, and they should never feel that their needs are insignificant because there are greater needs that are out there. Okay, Rabbi Breitowitz. Let's go to this question. Hold on one second. Somebody sent in. I've been grappling with the question for some time now. The destruction of the race of English is attributed to Sinas Chinam. My question is, how can we actually contribute to the arrival of Mashiach when instances of Sinas Chinam still persist? For example, some rabbis serve as examples by the followers by not communicating with their siblings or engaging in disputes. Or you see other fighting still in today, with divorces and stuff. How can we reconcile this behavior with the goal of bringing Mashiach? Like Even today, there's still a lot of discord. Is there anything that we could do to try to make more actus, more active? Well, well, listen, I mean, I, I think you've identified uh, precisely one of the main problems, if not the main problem. If the second korban was because of Sinas Chinam, then uh, we cannot have a Geula until we are misaking the Sinas Chinam. And you're correct. Sinas Chinam is one of the greatest problems, a cancer that plagues Paul Yisrael. I don't just mean religious versus secular, but within the religious world, whether it's Dati uh, Liyami versus Haredi, whether it's one group of Hasidim against another group of Hasidim, all of the different groups fight with each other. And then, of course, we have the divorce rate and the estrangement of parents from children, children from parents. So... That does seem like almost insurmountable. Now, as I said before, we do see, specifically during this time of war, at least on some levels, a tremendous actus that's moving forward and kind of conquering the uh, the sinasrinam, and hopefully this will spread. Uh, once again, you got to start with your family, you got to start with your show, you got to start with your community. If enough people have the commitment, each of us works 
in our little part of our garden, eventually you have a huge mass that's coming with Avas Yisrael, with Chesed, and uh, it's something we have to be committed to. You know, it's far for, for far too much. We identify the definition of a from yid as Ben Adam Lamakam. You know, you dive in every day, you keep kosher, you keep Shabbos. Uh, but being from also means you're honest in business. That's not our topic, but you're honest in business. You're an Ava, you're Oev Yisrael, you care about people. Uh, you don't create walls of division. Far too often, religion from Kite has been creating walls, creating barriers, rejecting, as opposed to making the name of Hashem beloved in the eyes of others. So, all I can tell you is uh, we start with ourselves and hopefully it branches outwards. And the Ezra Hashem, we should grow up particularly in that area. That's at Sarech Hashem Mamish. Amen. We had to share with Rabbi Waiwai and Eli Bear, and he's, he was like promoting that we need Achtas. He said he never saw Achtas like this before. And he said that the Achtas is the, the thing that he felt was the key over here to really, you know, so when you didn't have Achtas, we're, un, we're untouchable. There's a beautiful word from the Sfas Emes on the passage of the Haggadah. Which is normally translated, it is not only one nation that tries to destroy us, but he touches up this way. It is only the fact that we're not one that is the source of what destroys us. Meaning when there's Achtos, and you see from Rashi in Chumash, Rashi brings a Chazal. That why did God destroy the generation of the flood, but he didn't destroy the generation of the tower of Babel, Migdal Babel, he just dispersed them. Because in the flood, there was social social disintegration. People were fighting with each other. The Dorha Flugger, there was unity, even though they were idol worshippers or they denied God. And Hashem will protect people who are living in unity, even if they're over the Avodizara more than people who are socially uh, disintegrated and the like. That's how important Achdus is. Beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Breitowitz, and uh, regards from uh, the whole family, from Yosef, Brian, and everybody. Thank you. Um, we've been listening to the Rav Shurim, I think, since uh, October 7th, and uh, me particularly heavily been focused on Gogumagog. Uh, the Rav's made connections to Yishmael, and the morale discusses it, which is being, I would think that would be Mechashev as Haketz. And at the same time, the great Rishonim uh, discussed that a person should not be. And uh, one of your Talmidim, Rabbi Weirblank, a chaver of mine, uh, Taka gave a shir in the shul, now a person's not supposed to be Mechashev as Haketz, and a person should not have that focus. So my question is like balancing the two, um, and what's the appropriate mahalach? I know the Rambam says a person should not be mechashev as a kates, and then he goes ahead and is mechashev uh, the the kates. So yeah, yeah, balancing yeah, yeah. the two. Yeah, you, you you see again, you, you see this fundamental problem in Chazal. Uh, you know, Chazal say uh, you're not allowed to be mechashev as a kates to calculate the, the messianic times, and yet the Meforshim and Sefer Daniel do it. Rav Sajagon, Rashi, Ramban. Malbim, I think, was the last one who did it. He had something in the 1920s and the like. All of these dates have come have come and gone. But I think the key basically is uh, two things. Number one, 
uh, when you offer things as possibilities and you don't assert them with definitiveness. I think that itself will be a permissible way of building up hope, understanding that you're prone to error and understanding that you have no way of knowing for sure. I think that already may take it out of future case. But the other thing is uh, even more general, and that is you're not giving a date. You're just describing a tekufa. So, for example, uh, I didn't say, or you know, no one is saying, Mashiach will come. I mean, some people do say it, but I, I would disassociate. Mashiach will come by the end of uh, Pesach. You know? uh, that's Chisha Paketz. But to say we're in a period of Chavle Mashiach, and we don't know how long that's going to take, and we don't know when it's going to come, but these are the signs of Chavle Mashiach. That's not a chishuk haketz. That is not a calculation of a ketz. That is an identification of a tikufa. And that, I think, has been done over and over and over again. As I mentioned, Rabbi Hanan Wasserman talked about the Holocaust as being ikvaset de Mashiach, the footsteps of Mashiach. Um, so I, I think those are, those are the two differences. In other words, one is speculation rather than certainty, and the other is identifying a tikufa as opposed to pinning down a date. And the tachas of that is to what? To give a person, you know, if you're not miyayish, like what's the tachas of that? Let me say this. The, the, the part of the evil, part of the condemnation of Chishofaketz was that you destroy people's hope by raising their hopes and then it doesn't happen. Masha'en came when you just create it as possibilities, that gives people hope, but they understand that you know, it may not be, be it. So that's that's good for why you'd have less of a problem when you don't label it with a certainty. Yeah. This this now the question is for those who um, are starting to ask about going to Israel and it's not the right time. It's really a question of what we should do. And somebody asked somebody sent them a very specific question after experiencing anti-Semitic verbal abuse at a park where individuals shouted offensive words, including references to Hitler, at me and my kids. I've been contemplating the following. Should I accept the reality of being in Golos and endorse the situation quietly, or I should report it and wonder if it's going to help to get security? Additionally, is it considered a Kiddush Hashem to stand up for myself and if this is what we should do? So the fear of the potential of potential physical attacks lingers, prompting me to consider whether it's advisable to enroll my children in self-protection lessons. <laughs> well, I, I think all, all of that is true. Uh, the kids should be able to defend themselves uh, physically. That's part of what's called ishtadlis. I would report threats to the police. I'll tell you what I'm a little against. I'm a little against kind of Jews using political power and clout to fight anti-Semitism. Because I think it backfires. The example I like to think about is, you remember the black entertainer Kanye West, who made some comment about Jews control the money and the economy. And uh, because of Jewish protest, he lost over a billion dollars in commercial endorsements. Now, here's my thing. His time was Jews control all the money. And as a result, he loses a billion dollars of, of, of endorsements. Now, what does that tell an anti-Semite? That tells an anti-Semite that Kanye West is exactly right. Jews have power, Jews have money, and therefore they can do what they want. So 
there is a very important idea of Jews having a relatively low profile. I, I know that many people don't agree with me, so I'm not saying this as a psak halacha, but I think you have to understand you're in the Gullahs, uh, unless you decide to come to Eretz Israel, but even there you're in Gullahs, but you're in the Gullahs, these things happen, you have to expect them, you can't expect much better, but still, uh, you have a chiv to try to give yourself physical protection. So going to the police, I think, is a reasonable established. But on the other hand, having huge uh, protests about anti-Semitism, uh, I think may be counterproductive. Now, in truth, I have to say, I initially had some hesitations about the rally in Washington a few days ago, uh, because once again, based on what I said, maybe it's better for Jews to have a lower profile. Hi, Robert Reiters, I just want to pause you for a second. There's, there was a lot of debate between a lot of people, especially the, you know, like the very former people not going, yeah, going. There was a lot of people yeah. texting. So I just wanted to bring that up. Continue, yeah. Yeah, no, I realize, I, I, know, I know the letters from Yeshivas, but putting that aside, I'm just talking about profile. But but I think I was wrong on that. I, I think that uh, there was a certain Kiddush Hashem in the fact that you had almost 300,000 people mainly Jews, but also a lot of, of uh, Goyim, and there was not a single violent, there was not a single violent confrontation. The next day, a bunch of Jews who supported Palestinian rights got into a violent scuffle with the police, so it's interesting that the Jews for peace in Palestine, they get into fights uh, with the police. Um, so, but that I think was different. That was kind of standing with Israel, but I, I think to a large degree, a Jew has to realize that they will never be totally accepted in the Gullahs. And don't expect it. Don't expect it. Live with it. Protect your family. But understand that sometimes the more you try to get accepted by the prevailing culture, the more they're going to fight back and reject you. So that's kind of the dynamic of a low profile that I think historically has been the way Yidden understood Gullahs. They understood Gullahs in that way. In some ways, America spoiled you, spoiled us by making us think that we're totally equal. But I think we we're discovering that's kind of an illusion. Also. And about the discussion that you mentioned before on the spiritual side, when we're fighting Yishmol, what could we do more than regular spiritual things? What's that, what you mentioned, we have to do a little bit beyond? What's, what does the rabbi mean? Well, uh, I, I well, I, I think the key that many say is that this is the Abayin Bimarbe B'Tfila, that uh, Yishmael's Kayach is Tfila. We have to be Marbe B'Tfila. But as I say, uh, things like Abbas Yisrael, they're not necessarily anti-Yishmael, but they're pro-Geula. See, there are two different issues here. One is, how do we fight Yishmael? The other is, how do we bring the Geula? The truth is, bringing the Geula will also defeat Yishmael. So in terms of bringing the Geula is the Abbas Yisrael aspect. A direct defeat of Yishmael is to the Kayach of Tefillah. And Taira is always uh, the source of great, great bracha to the world. So I don't necessarily have something unique. I do think, by the way, that the idea of being mispalal for a specific chayal is a beautiful idea. That way you connect to an individual person. Uh, and I think volunteering uh, or making sisses or doing things for those who are suffering in the army or for the hostages or for the displaced families. That's a mission. People don't realize the number of Jewish families that have been displaced. That, you know, they have no place to live and they need shelter and food and, and clothing and all sorts of things. 
So I think those are special acts of present that are appropriate during this time. Okay, Reverend, let me ask you this question. When, when we, when, how do you advise individuals to engage in peaceful dialogue, especially when faced with different opinions and conflicts? How does the conversation contribute to positive change? But really, I want to add on that. Like, how do we, as from you, then we had this question two weeks, a few weeks ago. Like when people say, oh, how could the Jews kill all these innocent Palestinians and the guys and children? How do we respond to that when we're in a conversation? How do we, you know, defend our position, you know, sounding logical because they come off so like, like almost, almost, you know, equating us when we're in a different position? Well, you know, first of all, the United States did much worse. You know, in, in World War II, in 1945, uh, they bombed Nagasaki and Hiroshima, in which thousands, was it tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't have the numbers, of innocent people uh, suffered horrible deaths and horrible disfigurements. And Harry Truman said, this was a regrettable, necessary evil in order to prevent the loss of many more lives in the future. Now, we have to understand that Israel is tremendously disturbed over the fact that collateral damage is occurring. They are not targeting civilians. They don't want to kill anyone that is an innocent non-combatant. There is, is such a thing. Uh, they send warnings. They tell people to evacuate. I mean, Hamas, I, I don't think, gave warning to the people at the music festival. Please get out of here because we're going to be killing people soon. Hamas tends not to give warnings. Israel gives warnings. Um, uh, Israel specifically tries to avoid targeting civilians when they can. But it's Hamas that uses civilians, not just our hostages, but their own people, and children and hospitals and schools and residential areas. So they're a cancer that attaches itself to all sorts of people. And if the only way to get the cancer is that some of these innocents are going to suffer, the fault lies with Hamas. It does not lie with the Jewish people. And I can tell you that the Jewish people are crying. I am crying over the Palestinian children that are dying. This is not a simcha. We don't rejoice. We do what we have to do for our own survival and for the survival of the Jewish people. And what a bloodthirsty nation it is that doesn't care about their children, doesn't care about their people, doesn't care about their sick. And they put us in the position where in order to ensure our own survival, we have to do this. You know, Golda Meir once said, and some people don't like this statement, but I'll just quote it. She said, we could forgive the Arabs for killing our children. I don't agree with that, but that's what she said. But we can't forgive the Arabs for making us kill their children. Now, I, I, I disagree with the first part of the statement, but I agree with the second part of the statement. We are said that lives have to be taken. And Hamas could reverse this. Hamas could have made it different. And I hope that someday they will come to the wisdom of morality and make choices that are good. Although Hamas as an organization never will, but hopefully, maybe, just maybe, uh, you know, Chazal say, Yishmael, Yishmael the person did tshuva, and Chazal say, Yishmael will do tshuva. The nations of Yishmael. Perhaps the Abrahamic Accords was a step in that direction. And perhaps the aftermath of this conflict 
maybe, maybe, again, I'm not so optimistic, but for thou say it will happen at some point that uh, it may be a catalyst for reconsidering their relationship to the Jewish people and to the state of Israel. Yishmael does chuba. Yeah, okay. Rabbi Breitowitz, tonight was Murray Dick. Let's go to the closing part, okay? First of all, Gershah Shreich, Rabbi Yitzhak Breitowitz, for coming on so early in the morning and uh, really ta ta tackling a difficult topic. We really appreciate Rabbi Breitowitz. Every time you come on, it's Murray Dick. Again, tonight, Shishmishchus, my brother, Avram Yonta, B'moshim Yaman, and Shishmish Nevaliyah. Again, tonight, uh, every Sunday night on, uh, at 9.30 on this Zoom program, we have different cheer and different topics. And um, please join us next week, November 26th. We're going to have a very amazing session with Charlie Harari, who's uh, an inspirational speaker. And he's really going to bring it, you know, he brings a lot of inspiration. We didn't uh, hone in on the topic yet, but Shem. Next week, I advise everybody to join. It should be powerful as it always is and let people know about it. Everything's recorded. Matshem will be on manachembernful.com. I'm going to send it also to Rabbi Breitowitz. You can upload it to his thing. Rabbi Breitowitz, you also have a podcast, right? Question and answers on uh, yeah, yeah, Spotify. Yeah. Uh, it's on Spotify, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I can search Rabbi Breitowitz. He has every week people ask him the craziest questions in the world, to be honest with you. I heard some of them. So uh, Rabbi, Breitowitz, Rabbi Breitowitz doesn't shy down from anything. Again, tonight's share is 164. Matshem will be on... Uh, on our phone lines, anybody wants to call and listen, the number is 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. And again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, Chayla Kaufman from JCN. And again, Rabbi Writers, I'm just going to go to closing Menachem, and then I'll leave it to you. But uh, again, it's a difficult topic, and thanks for the clarity and just the chizik. And again, hopefully everybody tonight can take out of it, trying to build the Achtus and Klai Yisrael and trying to realize that we need to do what we need to do. And Hashem runs the worlds, and um, we're here. We're just, you know, God runs the worlds. We only, we only work here. God's the boss, so He calls the shots. And we, we, we have theories. We have different things. We try to, you know, we try to attribute our brain tries to say, oh, this is because of that, and that's because of that. But Rabbi Brad says we all know we don't really know the cheshbonos of Hashem, but we, we just, we know what we need to work on ourselves and be mechazak ourselves and do the right thing. We have the Torah. That's the way we follow. And um, we see miracles sometimes. Sometimes we're to see the story with the lady with the challah or the tzitzis or whatever it is. These these stories that give us that little feeling of a chizik. But ultimately, Hashem is in charge. And the truth is, the, the truth is, we 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 need to come to the fact, the realization. At the end of the day, it's just us. There's nobody to turn to. There's no. You could turn to your friends. You could turn to this. You could turn to that. Ultimately, we need to turn to ourselves and our connection with Hashem. And that's really the ultimate. Rabbi Breitowitz, at the end of the day, when somebody comes to the end of their life, that's the only person they turn to is Hashem. Nobody can help them, right? We know that. So mm -hmm. we have to all continue doing that and keep on working on ourselves and becoming better people and daven more and turn to Hashem and be more connected. And ultimately, when we have actors between each other and we accept all Yudin, all types, all walks, all lives, that will really bring the ultimate gula. And Coach Menachem, I'm going to give it over to you. So yeah, thank you, Rabbi Bradowitz. Thank you very much. And um, just sitting here together with everybody and talking about it, trying to understand, seeing what Hashem wants, the mechazik ourselves. That's one of the things that Hashem wants. And we're asking questions, which is good. Like you mentioned, we should we should ask, do we belong here? Do we belong in Israel? And if you you know if you never asked it, start asking, what does Hashem want? And with that, we slowly, everybody, you know, becomes better, closer, and we're mechazik ourselves. Whether we're planning to go to Israel or if Hashem wants us to stay here, 
we have to hold on tight, you know, and strengthen ourselves as Yidin. With, uh, like we heard, we started with ourselves, with the people around us, our own home, with the Achdos and the Torah and Tefillah. And yes, it has a cause and effect, even though we don't see it. When I learn Toysavis, I say a capital to them. I, I do a mitzvah, I do Achdos. It helps. It does. We have to believe it. And that's a strengthening of So thank you very much. And Hashem should help us. We should see the Gula. We should see, uh, get closer. And it's Hashem. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say, too, that uh, we in Eretz Yisrael so much appreciate uh, the chizik that you give us. The fact that you're sharing in our tzara, that it's your tzara, not just our tzara, uh, means that we're not alone. And uh, that itself builds bridges of Akhtas. So, so you know, we're grateful for for all of uh, your tefillahs and all of your mesivus nefesh. And uh, and we are worried about the Jews in America. We, we are worried about you. And uh, we share in your tzara as well, as well as Jews all over the world. So we should turn to Hashem together. That will open the Shari Shemayim. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you very much for our ride. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. For Charlie Harari and... Uh, Writers again, thank you again. Thank you. Be well.